Um, 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Yeah, thanks for that, Sandra. Uh, thanks for reading for us. Keep your Bibles open. Uh, we're going to work our way through these verses in a fair bit of detail. There's some really great things for us to pick out there as we do that. So it'll be handy if you can follow along. In the email that was sent out on Friday, there's also a sermon outline for you. You can use that to follow along uh, or to take notes if you like. Before we go any further, though, I'm going to pray and ask for God's help as we read and listen to his word together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is such good news for us in your word. This news that we are yours, that we can know you and have a relationship with you, a relationship that leads to life eternal. Father, this news is encouraging. It's a hope. It is strength for us. And so we pray that you would help us to hear it this morning. Lord, as we hear this passage which speaks to us of assurances we can have that all of this is true, we pray that that assurance would be ours, that we would be firm and established and strong in you and confident, therefore, to live for you. Father, help us in this. We pray that your spirit would work powerfully in each of us, in our hearts and in our lives, to speak your word to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks back, uh, we were, as a family, on the East Coast. Uh, we were in St. Helens, and we were there, well, for holidays, but also for the purpose of mountain biking. So they just opened some new trails in St. Helens, and we got the chance to ride them. And so on a Saturday morning, I'm standing at the top of this hill just out of St. Helens. It's Loyalteer, a Flagstaff Hill. You're high up over the East Coast. You can see all of the town. You can see the whole of the East Coast. And the sign on the trail ahead of me says Black Diamond, Advanced Riders Only. Um, just a quick fill in. It's a bit like skiing. You've got green, which is easy, blue, which is moderate, and then black, 
which is hard. And I'm looking at this trailhead, I'm looking at the sign that says Black Diamond, and I've got to admit, I was a little bit nervous. And I'm thinking, well, can I actually get down this? Do I dare to claim that I am an advanced rider? Uh, are there going to be obstacles on this trail that are simply too hard or too dangerous for me? Is this going to be a disaster? Am I finally going to get my first trip in an ambulance? Now, in my head, uh, I knew I could probably do the trail. Um, I'd seen a video of it, and there was nothing too gnarly on it. Uh, I knew that black trails, though tough, um, can't technically have anything too crazy on them. But still, I was uncertain. <laughs> still, I wasn't very confident. Now, though, I can't wait to do that trail again. It was an absolute blast. Uh, I'm I just hanging out for it. Uh, why? Why am I now filled with anticipation? Because I've done it. I, I've experienced it. And that personal experience, that personal uh, knowledge of that trail has overcome those uncertainties and doubts that I had. My, my lived experience is strong enough to beat those. Now, in our passage today that Sandra just read for us, John makes a similar case to Christians. To those who are feeling uncertain about their faith, those who are feeling uh, unsure about their standing before God, those who are, are, are battling or have battled with doubts. Last week he dealt with some of our fears. This week he deals with uh, some of our doubts by appealing to our experience, to our lived experience of God. Now, on the face of it, that may sound a little bit weak. You know, my experience of God, my experience of the Christian life is supposed to be an assurance? I mean, really? But yet, as John goes on, he shows us that this is not just some assurance for, you know, top-level Christians, if there is such a thing. He shows us that this is a great confidence for all of us in the faith. A confidence to be had and a confidence to be grown in. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So how can we know for sure? How can we be confident that we have this wonderful and personal and life-giving relationship with God that we talked about last week? Well, John tells us. Look at verse 3 through 6. We know that we have come to know him if we obey him, his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So we know we know God if we keep his commands. If you look at your life, do you see obedience to God? If so, then you can know that you know him, that you have this saving relationship with him. How does that work? Well, John actually lays it out for us in those verses. It says the one who claims to have a relationship with God but disobeys God, well, that person is a liar. There's no relationship there. He, he, he's false. Instead, it's the one who obeys. He's the one who knows God. That person, it's their love, that's love for God. If you look in your Bible, the NIV has a little note there. Uh, it's not God's love, it's love for God. 
It's their love for God that's being made complete by their obedience. See, the one who walks like Jesus, that is, who lives for him, who follows him, who does what he says, he's the one who's in God, alive in him. See, what John is saying is obedience confirms relationship. Obedience confirms relationship. And there's your assurance. But that might not make you feel much better, might it? <laughs> because let's be honest, we're not very obedient, are we? We, we? we sin all the time. We disobey God all the time. And we do it in all sorts of different ways. Do, does that mean then that we're not in him? Well, let's just clarify. See, John is not saying that perfect obedience is the mark of a relationship with God. To, to say that would be to contradict what we saw last week, didn't we? We saw last week that to claim perfection is itself a lie. Now, neither is John talking numbers here, you know, as if, uh, as if we could say, you know, 20 sins per day, that's disobedience. But 19 sins per day or less, that's obedience. I mean, that's completely absurd, isn't it? We know no, God's not like that. Now, what John is talking about here is a different life. A life that looks to obey, a life that looks to follow, a life that really just cares, that cares about God. Because, see, that's the key here. Yes, obedience confirms relationship, but it's that relationship that changes life. It's that relationship that leads to obedience. Uh, maybe, maybe an example, a hypothetical situation. Uh, say you are meeting your wife's or your husband's uh, extended family for the very first time. You, you've been told all their names. There's, you know, cousins and cousins and more cousins and brothers and sisters and all that sort of stuff. And each one of them is married. Now, you know, in theory, who is married to who, but you don't know how to put the names to the faces. You just can't remember because, you know, there's lots of them and it's the first time. You don't know, and you don't want to commit some horrible social faux pas. So you're feeling a bit uncertain. You come into this family gathering, clearly they all know each other, clearly they all like each other and relate to each other well, clearly they're all family. But over time, if you watch carefully, you, you can start to figure out who's with who, can't you? I mean, sure, they're all friends, sure, they're all friendly, but married couples have different ways of relating to each other, don't they? They do different things for each other. They speak in different ways to each other. They, they relate differently. And you can see it. They, they live that relationship out. And what John is saying in this passage is, that's you. you if you have a relationship with God, you're going to see it. You can't help but see it because it will change your life. It won't make you perfect now anyway. It will one day. But it will make you different now. That relationship, that love, it changes you. It's powerful. I don't know if you remember that song from, I don't know, the 70s, was it? Huey Lewis and the News. Uh, that's the power of love in um, Back to the Future. Great song. I'm not going to sing it. But the whole song, <laughs> the whole song is about how love changes you. But here's the thing. You know, no one ever wrote a song about the power of discipline. I mean, that's the power of discipline. That, <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work, is it? It's not going to work, not just because it's not very catchy, 
doesn't work because discipline doesn't change people like love does, does it? I mean, even people in our society who promote discipline, even you know the, the athlete or the scholar or the, the runner or whoever, when you scratch the surface, what do you find? You actually find love. It's, it's, it's a love that makes them do what they do. The discipline is just how they do it. And so it is with you. If you love God, it changes you. Yeah, you're not perfect yet, but you have a life-changing relationship. God's love and your love for him, living it, uh, bringing it to completion, being changed by it and seeing its evidence in obedience and a desire to obey. So a test, a test for you. Is there the evidence of God's love and a love for God in your life? Is your life different because of him? If yes, even, even in small ways, that is great. Because it is a concrete sign of the relationship that you have with him. Not a relationship that you made, but one that he's given to you, but one that you can be absolutely confident in. Now, if no, if you can't see a difference, uh, if you feel like what drives your life is in fact different from other Christians, then this is a warning to take heed of. Because as we saw last week, the only way to life is in relationship with God. And outside of that is only death. If you're not seeing the evidence of that in your life, then you need to ask yourself, have I really repented? And laid hold of God's promises in Jesus. You know, maybe even now, right now, could be a time to ask those questions. And even come to repentance, in repentance to God. Now a word of caution with this test. Because each of us are going to find times when we feel down. Times when we are doubting. when Times when we can't see our own lives clearly. And we might misuse or misapply this test. And it's in those times where we need to be careful. And perhaps one of the best ways to navigate that is not to keep turning inwards to ourselves and actually go to someone else that we trust. It's a time to go to a friend and say, look, I'm just not certain. What, what do you see? What do you understand? A friend can be objective. Our own minds can lead us into some bad places sometimes. So rather than thinking yourself into the dumps and thinking yourself into further doubt, get some help. Talk to someone you trust. But there's also a challenge here for us. If you've seen signs of that relationship in God, uh, with God in your life, then increase it. Practice that love. Practice that obedience. Because, well, I mean, there's lots of great benefits. There's no, literally no downsides. But it's the path to enjoying your relationship with God more. You know, just like when you, you serve your family and, and do good things for them, you feel close to them, so too with God. When you serve him and love him and obey him, you will feel closer to him. Your experience of him will improve. And on top of that, your assurance in him will grow. 
I mean, I, I think we all want that, don't we? We want that stronger assurance and stronger confidence in him. Well, here's how to get it. Live like Jesus. Follow Jesus. Obey his word. Obey all of it. Live sacrificially, selflessly, serving, obeying God. And your assurance in him will grow even more. But there's another experience that builds our assurance in God, and John gives it to us there in verses 7 through 11. Uh, let me read those verses for you from verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Now, the, the whole new old command thing that we see in verse 7 and 8, there, it kind of reads a little bit odd. Um, until we just scratch a little bit at the, the background to what John is saying here. Um, the church at this time, they would have read and heard John's gospel. They, I mean, they heard it probably from the source itself. And one of the things we find there in John 13, verse 34, is Jesus speaking to his followers. And this is what he says. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Uh, it's a new command because Jesus uh, established it in and on himself. It's an old command to the church because it's what John told them right at the beginning of this church when they very, uh, came to the faith for the very first time. And the command is simple. Love. Love as Jesus loved. That's the new way that he's come to bring. The way of light rather than darkness. And it's a way that's already here because the darkness is passing away and the light of his eternal rule has begun to dawn in the church and in the world. Love is evidence of our relationship with God. Love is confirmation of our relationship with God. To hate your brother is the way of darkness. To love your brother is the way of light. Well, who is your brother? Well, elsewhere the Bible tells us quite clearly that we are to love everyone. Uh, we're not going to dispute that at all here. But in this context, what John is talking about, and even what Jesus was talking about back in the gospel, is love for your Christian brother and sister. It's love for the other people that God has called. It's love for his church, for the fellowship of believers. It's love for one another. How do you know that you know God? You love his people. Why? Well, John tells us. John actually tells us later in this letter, in uh, 1 John 4, verse 16, he tells us God is love. It's not that just God loves, but God is love. It is essential to who he is. And if God is love, and if we are linked to God, by relationship with him, then the love that he is, is going to be seen in and flow from us. 
Uh, maybe I can illustrate. Uh, a bit over a year ago, I had to rewire my boat trailer. The, the tail lights weren't working, uh, and so I had to replace them. Uh, and the salesman at a certain local boatyard uh, who sold me the kit promised me that not only was the kit to do it very cheap, which it was, uh, but he promised me that the job was very easy, uh, that anyone could do it. Uh, he, he didn't obviously know me very well. And so anyway, I'm sitting in our driveway, we're lying in our driveway quite literally, under the boat trailer, fiddling with this big bunch of different coloured wires. Now, different colours, uh, being colour blind, was a special challenge. And so it literally came down to the point where I couldn't tell them apart, so I had to trial and error. Which is not a great way to ever do electrical work, but we sorted it out. If I hook this wire up to this bulb, what happens? I know it's right. I mean, I, I could work it out, couldn't I? You know, if I hook the car up and if I indicate in the car, if the indicator on the correct side is working on the trailer, then clearly the signal is getting through. Clearly it's been hooked up right. If I indicate in the car and the brake light starts flashing, clearly I've done something wrong and need to rewind. Because if that wire is hooked in right, then the signal that the car is putting out will come out through the trailer too. And so it is with Christians. If we are hooked into God in relationship with him, knowing him, then the signal that he's sending out, which is love, then that love will come out through us and be seen in us. So again, a test for us, a test for you. Do you love the people of God? Do you love the people of God? Now, that's not asking, do you like them all equally? That's a different thing. Instead, it's asking, do you love them as Jesus loved them? Do you care for their growth and establishment in the faith? That's what Jesus' love was like, isn't it? Do you desire to spend time with them as Jesus did? Do you desire to serve them as Jesus did? Do you want to put their needs above yours? Do you want to care for them both physically and spiritually as Jesus did? Do you care for God's people in a way that contrasts with those who aren't Christians? Do you care for God's people in a way that reflects God's care for his people? If not, then perhaps again, this is a time to re-examine your life. I mean, don't kid yourself here. If you have a relationship with God, then you will have a relationship with a love for his people, the two are inextricably linked. Now, if you answer yes to those questions, if you say, yes, I do have a love for God's people, even if it is flawed and imperfect, as it certainly will be, then that is wonderful. <laughs> Celebrate that. It is great news. And for you, there's a challenge. And the challenge is grow that love. Grow in love. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Love your church family even more. It's hard. It's hard to kill off uh, love for self, selfish love, but it's good. Love them like Jesus loves them. Love them sacrificially. Love them serving. Love them selflessly. Now, it'd be very easy just to say to ourselves here, okay, yeah, that's true. That's good. I, I will love God's people more. And look, that's, that's a great thing to resolve, but it doesn't have legs yet, does it? 
doesn't do anything. Instead, set yourself a goal this week. Think of one or two concrete ways that you can practice more love for God's people this week. I don't know what it is for you, but maybe for you it's go to connect. Uh, especially if you haven't been in a while, whether that's online or in person, but be there. I mean, your presence there is an incredible way to love the rest of your group and to love your church family. It's an amazing encouragement, even if you don't say anything, even if you don't say anything terribly profound, just to be there says that you love and care for those people. Make a phone call this week. Maybe you know someone who's been struggling, who might be flying under the radar. Get in touch. Pray for someone, but don't just pray for them. Uh, pray for them and then send them a text saying, I actually prayed for you this morning and this is what I prayed for. I mean, what a loving and encouraging that, encouraging thing that is. Send someone a letter. Uh, send someone an email if that's your preference. Ask someone to read the Bible with you uh, or to pray with you. Say, look, we've got 15 minutes uh, over lunch. Let's spend some time praying. I mean, what, what better way is there to love someone than to ask them to get together with God with you, uh, to, to help them and you in your walks with God? That's surely the most loving thing you could ever do. I mean, we, we, we could go on, couldn't we? That if we had all of us together in this room, we could probably brainstorm dozens, if not hundreds of ways in which we can love each other as God loves us. So love. And the wonderful thing is, as you love those around you, not only does that love grow, not only does our church community grow, not only does our love for God also grow, but our assurance in him grows too. And our enjoyment of him as well. I mean, there are literally no downsides to this. <laughs> What a blessing. So love. But the passage doesn't end there because there's a slight danger in all of this that needs to be addressed, needs to be corrected. And that danger is that we might be tempted to try and build our relationship with God on what we're doing rather than on what he has done. A danger that we might say, look at my obedience. Now I've got a relationship with God. Or look at my love. Now I have a friendship with God. Now all along, John's been hinting that that's not possible. Uh, he's been saying over and over again that obedience, love, uh, all of that comes from God. That the stream flows down, not, not up. But now at the end of this passage, he reaffirms it for us. And he does so explicitly. He takes us back and he says, here's the baseline. It's not you. It's only ever been God. Look with me at verses 12 to 14. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. It is a bit of an odd little section, 
um, you'll see in your Bible in front of you that it's kind of spaced out a bit differently by the translators. The, it seems that it might be poetry or perhaps even a song, um, just by the repetition and by some of the patterns of words. But, but whatever it is, the purpose that John is putting it to here is very clear. He's saying, come back to God. Start with God. I mean, it's a bit like building a house from the very little that I know of that process. But what I do know is, you know, you don't turn up to the site on day one and, and decide, yeah, we'll start building the frame. <laughs> it looks like we've done a lot then. We'll put the frame up, we'll get the, the trusses on, we'll stick the windows in and start the fit out. And, you know, when we're ready, we'll just hoist the whole thing up and, and put it over on that foundation. And, and that's how we'll build the house. I mean, it's complete nonsense, isn't it? That's not going to work. But it's the same with God. We, we don't build the frame, you know, obeying and loving him and then get the baseline established. No, it's the other way around. It's foundations first. And that's what John is reminding us here. Start with the foundations. Start with what God has done. Now, I know it seems like he addresses different groups of people, children and fathers and young men, and I'm not entirely sure why or what John's doing there. But what we do know is these truths are general. The truths are true for all of God's people. The point is the content. The point is look at these assurances. Verse 12, your sins have been forgiven. Verse 13, you have known him who is from the beginning. You have overcome the evil one. You have known him. You are strong. You have overcome. See, do you see what John is doing here? He's not referring to things that will be or might be. He's not even referring to things that are becoming. But he's saying these things have happened. These things are. That is, they have been established in the past. He's saying, remember who you are in Jesus. Remember what God has done for you in Jesus, what he has established for you already. That's the key to your obedience and to your love. The key is starting with him. You can't start with doing, you start with what's done, what God's done for you. He has forgiven you. Your sins are gone. Your slate is clean. Your relationship with God is not only established but unhindered because of that. Your life is secured. You have known him, not because you found him, but because he found you. You have overcome. You've not been overcome nor in danger of being overcome, you have overcome because Jesus has overcome for you. And you are in him. And his word that lasts forever lives in you. Years back, uh, I was signed up to a footy team, uh, the Christchurch Bulldogs in the, the great Canterbury red and black. Uh, my name was put on the list. I was given my Guernsey, number 15, and I was given my position as Ruckman. I was officially part of the team. The transfer was complete. But I didn't really feel it at first. The, the team were all strangers. I barely knew half of their names. Um, I didn't know our team game plan. I didn't know my role in that. I, I was part of the team, but I didn't really feel like part of the team. That is until we started training uh, and doing team stuff together, hanging out and, and running drills and 
then playing and then getting to sing the team song together. And then you start to feel part of the team, don't you? Then you start to feel like, yeah, I really do belong here. I have a place here. Well, Christian, God has signed you up. In Jesus' blood, he has written your name on the list. You are his, forgiven. And given your Guernsey and given your position, you're his child. You're in his people. You're part of his team, the church. So confirm it. Know it for sure by living it. Obeying him, loving your teammates, loving your Christian family, and be confident in him. Know him for sure. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you have done so much for us in Jesus. You have loved us. You've come to know us. You have forgiven us. All because of him, we are in you and yours forever. As your children, part of your family part of your people. Father, make us confident in us in this, we pray. Uh, help us to see you working out in our lives. Help us to see the way you're transforming us and building obedience and love in us. Father, change us uh, and make us willing partners in this. Grow our love, grow our obedience so that our knowledge of you and our knowledge of your people would grow even more. Grow our assurance in you, we pray, and our joy and our closeness to you. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.